appreciate it very much. Thank you, Brother Craig. I'm very humbled by an introduction like it. I've got to live up to that now. So I'm just a country boy from Virginia, from one of the poorest counties there. God saved me when I was 15. Went off to Bible college, and I didn't know Genesis from Revelation. I didn't know anything. Went into my first class, and it was a class of 500 students in there. I leaned over to the girl next to me, and I said, what does OT stand for? It was Old Testament survey, and that's how much I knew when I went off to Bible college. And so, But God has saved me and uh, used me and moved me out to Kansas into a small little town that uh, is basically dead in all aspects. And I pastored there as a senior pastor for 17 years as a missions pastor and now as a missionary. I do get to travel. I love traveling. I preach more now than I've ever preached in my life. And so I'll be out uh, with the Russians and the Moldavians, Ukrainians in Seattle for six weeks. And I just go from one stop to the next stop wherever the doors open. I was in Cuba last year. My wife got to go into Cuba. That was quite interesting and trained the pastors there. And so, but I love churches. I love God. I love the Bible. And I want to help your church at this time. I've done this on a number of occasions. People have called me in from different places and I can give you their names and you can go and check those churches and some of those pastors are still in those places that I helped uh, them to find their pastor and uh, one church in Mount Home, Arkansas has either doubled or tripled in the last seven years. I helped them find their pastor and they they'd been looking for a long time and one up in Nebraska, just different places and I just, uh, whatever needs to be done, if the toilets need to be cleaned, I'll clean the toilets. It doesn't make a difference and I just want to serve the Lord. And today I'm going to come and bring some messages. I've already brought the first one this morning, talking about what a pastor is supposed to be and what he's supposed to do. That way everybody's on the same page and we know what we're looking for. And then to this, uh, this service right now, I want to bring a message uh, uh, looking on the inside of the local church. And tonight, a very, very important uh, message. I want you to come back. I want you to be here all day so you can all hear it together, so you can all be on the same page of the Word of God. So take your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Uh, my wife and I, we're on the road most of the time. We have four children. Uh, we have one in Florida, one in North Dakota one in Iowa, and one that just moved from California back to Oklahoma City. Praise the Lord. A little closer to home in Kansas and, and uh, a lot different than California, I can tell you that. And uh, the influence of the society is a lot different here in Oklahoma than it was in California, so I really appreciate that. And uh, hopefully you have found Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to talk about the inner uh, workings of the local church. Uh, I, I, we're basically going to take the church like an egg and we're going to cut it open and we're going to look inside. And uh, we, we want to see what we're supposed to see according to the Word of God. Now when we look inside of what the church is supposed to be, and if we're not that, then what needs to change, the Bible or us? Okay, I just got three voices that time. The Bible or us? Yeah, we need to change because we need to line up with the Holy Scriptures. And so this is a very, very important passage in the Bible that deals with the inner working of the local church. So we're going to look inside and see how we're supposed to operate. Now, we always have these little hot dog things in the fall and the winter where we put them on a stick. and we, I like mine real black. And uh, we have some young fellow, you know, some guy from the youth group. He's got to tell the girls what's on the side of those hot dogs. You guys know what's inside of a hot dog? Do you want to know what's on, inside the hot dog? No, no. So he starts telling the girls what's inside the hot dog, and all of a sudden the girls don't want to eat the hot dog. Because now they know the ingredients. Well, we're going to look inside the local church. 
And that's what we need to see. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to talk about developing the local church. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he, Jesus Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some, what's the word? Pastors, everybody needs to be in their Bibles now. Everybody needs to be following along. I want you to see this with your own eyes. It's not what I say, it's what the Bible says that matters. Amen? Pastors and teachers for the, for the what? Okay, the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth, okay, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things who is the head even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us be in church today. We could be in the hospital. We could be in jail. We could be broken down on the side of the road somewhere. But it's good to be in your house with your people holding in our hands your word without fear of someone rushing in to persecute us for the preaching and teaching and holding of the scriptures. God, I pray for the health of this church. I pray for the life of this church. Lord, we need strong, vibrant local churches all over the world and Lord, we need one in this town. And God, I would pray for this day. I pray for our meeting together that we would just go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that we would come together as one person, one heart, one mind, one accord, and that we would work together for your cause and for your kingdom. Lord, help me to preach. Help us to hear. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way with us. We pray it in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. You may be seated. Developing the local church. Now, when you come to this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, it is the passage in all of the New Testament that talks about Christ producing growth in the local church. There are a lot of books out there that will tell you how to run your church. You can find them everywhere. There are a lot of people promoting a lot of things uh, for the local church. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. But listen, when we come to building the, the local church and growing the local church, you know where we need to go? I believe the Bible is sufficient. It has all that we need. And this passage here is the passage in the New Testament about development of spiritual growth. Now, I, I, I've put a few things together in my life. We had an old playground set at the church uh, where I was at that was next to the parsonage, and 
I had four little kids running around all the time, and that thing was uh, rusty and dilapidated, and one day my kid was on that, and uh, I don't know uh, uh, what you call that thing, but you go back and forth, you ride it like a horse, got your feet up in stirrups, you know what I'm talking, two people can be on it. What's the word for that thing, a glider? Well, anyhow, I'm watching him from the kitchen window, and I see him go out, but he doesn't come back. And so, you know how you are when you're a young parent, you know, everything, you know, you know, just a few bumps of bruises, it's all right after a while, but the first one, and so I went outside, folded that old, uh, I mean, I just folded that old swing set up, it was so rusty, I folded it and threw it up over the fence out into the church driveway, Well, there were some church people next door, they're looking out the window, what's going on next door at the parsonage? <laughs> And so I told them what happened, and we came home from town later that week, and there was a big, big box out in front of the garage door. You know what was in that box? Yeah, and I still don't know to this day who, who bought that swing set. But there's a big box, and on the front of that box is a big picture. And on that picture, it has all the things that, that are part of that swing set. And my kids, man, they come rolling out of our little car. They were so excited, jumping around. They think that when I open that box that they're going to have a swing set. Now, I'm working three jobs at the time, and now i got to put a swing set together. And I'm mechanically inclined. My dad was a mechanic. I was raised in a garage. And I said, now, how difficult can it be? So I told him on Saturday morning, on Saturday morning now, I'll put this thing together. So all week long, they're excited. And it was like Christmas morning. How, how early are the kids up on this Saturday? They're waking me. Come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. Let's go outside. So I went outside, and I started to put that thing together. And I finished about 11 o'clock. But I noticed something when I was done. I had parts left over. I'm looking at those parts. And I go, wonder where they go and what, they, what are they for? And so I began to look, and they are parts, most of them have to do with safety. And you know, if I would have just paid attention to the directions and built that according to the directions, I would not have had to tear that thing back apart and finish it up about dark that evening. My kids were wore out by the time I got it finished because they'd been running around all day waiting to get on it. And I had highly disappointed them. And the Bible has given us some instructions. You know, sometimes you open up these boxes, they'll give you the instructions in three different languages. Have you ever noticed that? Those instructions are important. And when it comes to a local church, we need to follow the instruction manual of the Bible. Many times people get over in a little room and they have this idea come up and this idea. And why don't we try this? And this is what the church is doing around the road. And this is what this preacher said we ought to do. And they get together and have some good ideas. And then they come and try to implement them in the church. And we never consult the instruction manual of the Bible. And look around us in the United States of America. We have any churches off track here in the States? Yes or no? A few or a lot? How'd they get off track? Because they got away from the truth. And so we're going to look at the instruction manual now. Notice, first thing I want you to see, the first thing that we come to here in verse 11 is we come to these people that are listed, these leaders. Jesus said, I will build my church. He said that, yes? And he's talking about these gifted leaders. He first talks about these apostles and prophets. If you go back just a few pages in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. 
Look back at Ephesians 2 and verse 20. The Bible's talking about the church now. And are built upon, Ephesians 2.20, built upon the foundation of the what? The apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being what? The chief cornerstone. When you go back in the book of Acts, this is what you see. You see the apostles, and you see the prophets, and you see Jesus Christ. And when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, he mentions those. He mentions some apostles and some prophets. And then he talks about these evangelists. These are the preachers of the gospel. And then he talks about some pastors. And he's talking about those who are shepherding the flock. And by the way, that's the only time that word is used here, pastors, and then teachers, those who are instructing in the Word of God. And so if we're going to have the kind of church that we're supposed to have, we've got to have quality leadership. The church rises and falls on leadership. Now, for this day and time that we live in, we have evangelists, and we have pastors, and we have teachers, and there's instructions in the Bible about those offices, about those individuals. But I want you to notice now what are the leaders of the church to be doing. Notice in verse 12. Notice what it says. It says for the, what's the word? Perfecting of the what? Now, who are the saints of the church? It's you. It's the believers. You're either a saint or an ain't. You're the believer or you're an unbeliever. You're either saved or you're unsaved. You're either in or you're out. And so he says that the leadership of the church is there for the perfecting of the saints, the completing of the saints, the finishing of the saints, the equipping of the saints. And you say, well, how do the leaders, how do the leaders accomplish this perfecting? How do they go about to equip us as the saints of the church? Hold your finger here and flip back to the book of Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. Look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. The Bible says here, this is the early church, this is the first church, this is a church in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, Notice the leadership of the church said this, but we will give, Acts chapter 6, verse 4, we will give ourselves continually to what? Prayer and to what? The ministry of the Word, okay? That's at least two ways, at least two ways that the leadership of the church can perfect the saints of the church. God has given us the Word of God, and the Word of God can transform a life, yes or no? And we should be renewing our minds every day in the Word of God, becoming more and more like Christ. The Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The Bible is useful for doctrine which does not change. It's good for doctrine. It's good for reproof. That means we're, the doctrine is here. We're down here somewhere. We get spanked. And we, then it says for correct, correction. And then it says, and the instruction in righteousness. We don't need to go down living down here in the world and getting in sin to know it's wrong. We can just listen to the Bible and not go out and commit those kind of things. The Bible tells us not to be drunk. Yes or no? So we, don't, we just take the Bible as what it says and don't go get drunk. We don't have to go experience that. 
That's instruction in righteousness. And then it says this in 2 Timothy. It says this, that the man of God may be perfect, that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You ever heard that scripture before? And there's our word perfecting again. There's our word equipping. So the word of God working in an individual's life is perfecting them, equipping them, and completing them. We are growing in the word. And so the leaders of the church are to be administering to the people of the church the word of God. And so how do they do that? They do that through this pulpit. They do that through maybe teaching in a Sunday school class. But they also do that when they meet with you. When they meet with you, when they talk with you, they can open up the word of God and say, here, this is what we ought to do. Here, young man, this is what you ought not to do. And so you administer that person, those in leadership, are to be applying and administering this book to the people of the church. Preaching it, teaching it, living it, uh, discipling with it, being an example of it. This is what the leadership is supposed to do. Now, how about prayer? Take a look, if you will, one little book uh, to, the, to the right in your Bible, Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 4. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, this is another way that the leaders can equip the people, can perfect the people. Colossians 4, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, he saluteth you, he greets you, always laboring fervently for you in what? In prayers that you may stand, what's the word? That you may stand mature, it's in some Bibles, but it says perfect and complete in all the will of God. There's our word again that we see in Ephesians chapter 4. The leaders are given for the perfecting of the saints. So here's the question you have to ask yourself. Are my pastors, are my Sunday school teachers, are my leaders, are they giving me the word of God? Are they praying for me? Are they praying with me? That's a question you need to ask yourself. You say, well, you know, they, the, the leaders of the church, they don't even know who I am. They really don't know me. Well, I say, well, whose fault is that? And the answer is, it's both. I have yet to turn down a meal that somebody's invited me to their home. I might not make it this week. I might not be able to make it next week. My schedule might be full. But we can plan two months from now and I'll make it to your house. And when you invite them over to your home and they sit down and have dinner in your house around your table with your family, they'll get to know you and your wife if you have a wife or your husband if you have a husband, get to know you, your child. They get to know you as a personal being and they get to know your life, get to know about you. They know how to pray for you and they can pray with you. And so at least we have to see this thus far. When it comes to the leadership of the church and the people of the church, there has to be a relationship. See, we have this mentality in today's church of a CEO pastor. He's a business person that works out of his office and behind his pulpit, and I only see you when you show up here or you end up in the hospital, or some crises in your life, then I'll show up. That's not what this Bible teaches. The leadership of the church is to be equipping the saints, to be perfecting the saints, working in your life, not just in a corporate manner, 
but in a personal manner. Now, notice this. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. The leaders are to equip the church people for two reasons. Take a look now. Notice in verse 12, what's the next little phrase? For the what? For the work of the what? Look at it in your Bible. I want you to read it. Look at Acts 4.12. For the work of the... So who is supposed to do the work of the church? Who's supposed to do that? Why don't you take your finger and look around the church and point at people. You're supposed to do it, and you're supposed to do it, and you're supposed to do it, and raise your hand. If you're part of this church, we're all supposed to be involved in the ministry of the church. Well, we hired a pastor, and we pay him. Americans love to pay other people, yes or no? And they love to get out of work, yes or no? So we're just going to pay somebody. I'm glad we've got a no out there. We're just going to pay somebody to do the stuff we don't want to do. And so we're paying, and somebody else do the work, and now we're free of it. That's not the way it operates. God's way is for the church people to serve in the ministries of the church. So this verse is teaching us that all believers are to be involved in the ministry of the local church. Every one of us at the moment of our salvation, when the Holy Spirit indwelt us, we also at the same time received spiritual gift or spiritual gifts and those spiritual gifts need to be used in the local congregation now how many of you came here in a car today raise your hand now how many how many parts on that car would you like uh, them working I got one lady answering and nobody else is quiet is she the only one to speak in this building they don't they're just quiet I'm asking you how many parts on your car you want working you want all of them working. Well, how about just some of them small parts that don't matter? Like that little button you got right there that you can take and put your window down and put your window up. Well, maybe you have one of those things that go round and round. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. If you got that little button next to you and your window's down and you can't get it to go back up and it's 30 degrees outside, it ain't, ain't too bright. But it's just a little button. Your car's still going to run, right? It'll still get you there. Then you get one of them pour down rains. You get there a little wet, but you still get there. And so when it comes to the local church, how many of us should be serving in our local church? How many of the parts do you want working? Did you guys know that there was a, um, what do you call that thing? That we're going to have, a, everybody have a potluck meal today. Did you guys bring your food? Do you guys have potlucks here at this church? Do you, you guys have another word for them things? That's potluck. And so, you know what I brought today for potluck? I brought me a two-liter of Dr. Pepper, my favorite, and a bag of Doritos, the blue bag of Doritos. You guys like the, the Doritos kids? And so what we're going to have today for our little banquet is I'm going to give you a communion-sized cup of Dr. Pepper and one Dorito, and we're going to have that as our potluck dinner. How do you like that? Now, I assume, I assume when you guys have potluck meals, you got food left over, yes or no? You got more than enough, yes or no? And why is that? Because everybody brings something. And so I'm asking you this question. What are you bringing to the table of this church? You got to bring more than yourself. You say, well, I came and I got to give more than your finances. Well, I sang. You got to do more than your singing. What are you bringing to the ministry of this church.
Now, I walked around your church building today, and I want to say a couple of things. I don't know who's in charge and who took care of your decorations, but they way ahead of schedule, and they did a great job. Where are you at? Who put the Valentines and the red stuff and all that kind of stuff up? Good job. You have a team? Do you have somebody working with you? But I also went around your church, and I noticed a lot of other things that could be done. Yes or no? I remember one church, we had, brother, brother Craig, you know, we built a church over top of another church and tore the old church down. And one Saturday, we announced for weeks on end that we're going to tear the roof off and we're going to put a new roof on and shingles, all that good business. And we got a church full of people. I mean, I have a lot of young people in our church. I mean, a lot of young. Well, on Saturday morning, we started at 8 o'clock. We even promised them lunch. And I was the youngest person there. Guess who got to carry those things up the ladder? I did. And every bundle I carried up the ladder, I got a little more angry. Because I'm thinking about those 50 or 75 young men that ought to be here helping. Man, you ought to have been in church the next day. I preached like a wild man at church the next day. I want to know where the young fellows are at. I said, how many of you wives reminded your husbands to come to work day yesterday? Hands were up everywhere. And I said, now, now you wives, tell me why they couldn't come. How many of your, your men, they were sleeping yesterday when we started working? Hands were up everywhere. They were loving telling on their husbands. But I tell you, it could have gone a lot faster and a lot easier and a lot better if everybody would have come. See, you know, we have a lot of people who complain about a lot of things but do very little. Are you listening to me? It's real easy to stay on the sidelines and shout from the sidelines and say we ought to do this and we ought to do that. And we're not doing anything ourselves. So what am I bringing to the table of this church? And by the way, when we come and work in the church and we do a ministry in the church, God doesn't want it done halfway. He says we ought to be aggressively involved. Now, how many of you guys like sports in this room? And how many of you are, you know, you get aggressively involved? I mean, you get upset. You know, some of you watched the Oklahoma game the other week, I'm sure, and you got upset. You probably left at halftime. Huh? Did it bother you at all or not? Said so you had your heart in it. You done got everybody over, brought all it. We're going to have a game tonight, watch the game. I don't know if we're going to lose, but we're going to have a well, First quarter, it was done. We get all excited about all kinds of things, get all emotionally involved and aggressive. I mean, we'll go out in the cold on a Friday night and watch a ball game. I mean, we stay out there for how many hours? And if a thing goes in overtime, anybody going home? Man, if the preacher preaches one minute longer, they're the complainers, here they come, like a chorus. I'm just being honest. Is it true? The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that our labor is not in vain. Now, I want you to look at this little verse. 2 Thessalonians. Just go over there and look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. God teaches us that we need to be aggressive in the work, involved in the work, abounding in the work. But notice what 2 Thessalonians says. Can you find that little book? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 11. Are you there? This means yes in Kansas. I assume it means yes in Oklahoma. Are you there? All right, we're there. Here we go. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 11. 
we hear, we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. They live among you disorderly, working. Come on, finish it for me. Working not at all, but are busybodies. Now look at that. Now, now, now they, they're not working at all, but they're busy. When I think about this, this, this busybody that the Bible's talking about, I think about a bee. And man, the bee is busy, is he not? And then that bee gets in your car, and he's disrupting your driving and distracting you. And if you're not careful, he's going to sting you. And he might even destroy your car for it's over with because you're not paying attention to the road anymore. You're paying attention to him. How many of you guys have been stung by a bee in this room? Hey, we don't like it. We got yellow jackets where I come from. You got yellow jackets down here? Man, I mowed over them a few times. And I thought it was smart as a kid to hit them with a stick and take off running. Man, they'll chase you a long ways. I'd run around Grandma's house. I'd be hollering Grandma, open the door, open the door. Finally, she'd come out of the door, and we'd go through maybe five or ten stings. That's all. But busybodies, working not at all, but biting people, buzzing people, distracting people. I want you to think about your church like a ship. It's very, very important that the ship's headed in the right direction, yes or no? There are a lot of ships in the United States that are going the wrong direction. They're off course. But let's say that you do have your ship going in the right direction. And the leadership of the ship is the pastor. He's at the helm, and he's driving the boat. He's driving the boat in the right direction. you got a good pastor. He's going in the right direction. And every one of us on the boat has been given an oar. You know what that is? Okay, we got an oar, and we're all supposed to be working together as the pastor is holding the helm back there, that little piece back there that makes the boat go left or right. He's, he's driving the boat. And some people are sitting in the boat, and you know where their oar is? It's in their lap. They're just sitting there watching everybody else work. Man. And some people, some people have taken their oar. You know what they're doing with it? They're poking the person in front of them. And the person is doing this number, doing this number like this, and they're distracting them from the work. You know how you get together and you get to talking, talking about the preacher, talking about the sermons, talking about the church, just uh, getting people distracted away from what we ought to be doing and just poking with the oar a little bit. You know, some people, some people, done, they done got up off their seat. They done got their oar. They gone back to the back of the boat where the preacher is, and they've been beating him with it. Did you know that the preacher gets beat up a lot? Yes or no? I, I go over and visit some of the new guys we, we put in, and I asked him, I said, can you pull up your britcher leg? And they look at me kind of straight. I said, just pull I'm going to see if you had any bites yet. Because sheep bite, yes or no? Oh, yeah, they can bite. They can tear you up one side and down the other. I know some people in the church, they think that's their ministry, is to keep the pastor humble. Their ministry is to bite him on a regular basis. I used to get an email every Sunday afternoon, every Sunday, after every message, and most of the time, it's what I didn't say right or what I, you know. Every now and then, he said, you know, there's nothing I could complain about today. <laughs> nothing he could complain about. That's what he said. But that was his ministry. 
after a few years, I just finally embraced it and said, this man is trying to help me out <laughs> with my English, which is bad. <laughs> so I'm in Oklahoma. I can get away from it down here, right? But some places I go, like the Northeast, they won't let you away with anything. Working not at all, but are busybodies. And you know what some people have done on the boat? Let me tell you what they've done. They've taken their oar and they've stuck it down in the water and they're just holding it just like that. You know what that does to the church? You know what happens when somebody sticks their oar in the water and just holds it? How's that help the boat? It's better if they just left it across their lap. But you show me a church that's hit it in the right direction. And you show me a church where everybody's working. And I'll show you a church you've never seen before. Now, I've been all over this world. And I'm in a church sometimes every week. And I've seen some churches that are hit in the right direction. And everybody's working together. And I'm telling you, they're knocking it out apart, hitting home runs all the time. Because when everybody's working, the load is light. And they're making a difference. And they're turning their town upside down for the name of Christ. Because they're working together. And so what you see here is you see the leaders working with the saints, the people of the church. And the people of the church do the work of the ministry alongside the pastor. And notice the second reason there in verse 12. What does it say? For the what? Ephesians 4.12, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So with this word edify is the word to build up. It's the word for construction. And so how do we build our church? Well, number one, we can build it externally through evangelism. We build it through sharing the gospel with people. Now, how many of us are supposed to share the gospel? When's the last time you shared it? It's unbelievable to me that you can be in church all your life and never share the gospel one time. Something's wrong. It's a very simple message. It's not difficult. You can share the gospel in less than 30 seconds. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, buried and rose again. That's the sweet and glorious message of the gospel. And you can share that. You can hand out a gospel tract that has it written there. It doesn't take long, but we have to be, we have to have a heart for lost people. You know who had a heart for lost people? Who had a heart for lost people? God has a heart for lost people. Jesus Christ has a heart for lost people. And we say we're Christians. Now Jesus said this to his, his people, follow me and I'll make you something. Fishers of men. And if you're not fishing, then you're not, well, you're definitely not catching, but you're not following. See, if, you, if you're following the Lord Jesus, you're going to have a heart like Jesus, and Jesus had a heart for lost people, and you and I are going to have a heart for lost Any lost people down here in Davis and surrounding areas, yes or no? When's the last time we cared enough to knock on the neighbor's door and share with them the gospel? We'll go week month, year, decade, and never open our mouth for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I, I'm happy 
that you live in a way that people could look at you and tell there's something different about you. But sooner or later, you've got to open up the mouth. If you pray and ask God to give you opportunities to share the gospel, do you think he'll give you opportunities to share the gospel, yes or no? Yes, he will. So our church is built not by adding a gym and a family center and donuts and coffee and a McDonald's at the front of the entrance because this is how churches are being built today, yes or no? We're going to draw them in. A church is built through evangelism, through winning people to Christ. There's a lot of places that have crowds. And oh, we want a crowd too. No, God wants you to have disciples. He wants you to have disciples. Not people that just believe, but people who believe and follow him. Big difference. So we grow through evangelization. But we also grow through edifying each other. That's why we have Sunday school. The children gather in, the adults gather in. Somebody is teaching, and we're learning, and we should be growing. The Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron. And so we are to be helping each other to grow. It's the encouragement to each other. It's nurturing each other. It's building each other up. It's the spiritual development of each other. So we all should be in the construction business. And let me ask you this question. In this church, who's investing in you? Who cares for you? Now, they might shake your hand at the door, but I'm talking about someone who cares for your soul. And they're investing in your life. And the other question is this, who are you investing in? I sat in my church after I got saved, 15 years of age, and somebody could have taught me something in those couple of years before I went off to Bible college. Two years, I went off to Bible college because I had a burning in my heart to preach. But I didn't know that book from one side to the other. Couldn't there be one man in that church to take a little time to spend with me? Try to help me? I wouldn't have minded if he bought my breakfast too. I'm from a poor family. But they just put a little investment in my life. I want you to think about something. Let's just think that one of your young men in here that's not married, that wants to be married. Who's here young that wants to be married in this room? Oh, come on, look at this. Oh, it's Blake over there. He wants to be married one day. Well, let's say that, let's say old Blake, let's say old Blake showed up on, he comes here regularly on Sunday, is that right? Oh, let's say old Blake showed up one Sunday, he's got a girl with him. Now, how many of you guys would notice that? Two people are going to notice that. Now, come on. If you're a woman in here, if you're a woman in here, you're noticing stuff like that. And you have to help your husband, right? Usually the woman will go, hey, look, look, do you know that, who that girl is? Well, you know, you're looking over there, Blake, and you can tell that this is not his cousin. Now, he done met this girl somewhere. I don't know where he done met this girl. I don't know who she is, but he done brought her to church. Now, who is going to be the man that's going to speak to Blake in private and say to Blake, now, Blake, I noticed on Sunday now you had a little girl with you. I sure did. Where's she from? Oh, I met her somewhere. And Who's going to ask Blake the real questions? Blake, 
is that girl born again? Is she baptized? Is she a godly young lady? Who's going to ask Blake those questions? You, you know what happens a lot of times? Here's what happens a lot of times. Nobody asks the real questions. They're going to let Blake get married to that girl. And let's say that girl, you know, she comes in here. She's not dressed too well. She's, the ladies get together and says, you know, that girl that uh, Blake's with, I don't, I don't think she's good for him. I know they're getting married in a couple of months, but I don't think, I don't think he ought to marry her. And sure enough, after 12 months of marriage, they run off the cliff. And she done left poor old Blake. And he's over there boohooing and crying, and she done run off. And then the ladies of the church, you know, they get back together again and say, oh, I told you, I told you she wasn't no good. They'd have done a lot of talking to each other, but never talked to Blake. And I can't tell you how many times that happens. Because nobody cares enough to speak. I want to say something about the relationship of the church. You got to go beyond just the relationship in the church. You've got to go to, listen now, integration. Put your hands together like this. Somebody can walk up to you and grab your wrists and pull that apart. Did you know that? But when you lock your fingers, even as a child, you lock your fingers and hold them tight. Didn't have somebody try to pull it apart. See, most churches are like this if they have anything. And they're so easily destroyed because they're not a family and we're not investing in each other's lives. How should we treat the old people in our church? Like a mother, like a father? How should we treat ladies that are our age, like a sister? Brothers that are our age, like a brother? This is the family in the local church. And we should act like a family. And we have to be integrated into each other's lives. And we see that coming up here in this passage. Now notice here, this integration in verse 13, and we're working, notice the word, what's the first word of verse 13? It's the word till, or until. Until, the Bible says, we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So you have a two-fold objective that's taking place. The first one is unity of the faith, unity in what we believe in, unity by getting on the same page as the Bible so we believe the same thing, and secondly, growing in the deeper knowledge of the Son of God. Who is the Son of God? Jesus Christ. So you have to ask yourself, by my coming to this church, I am growing in my knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a legitimate question a person needs to ask himself. Am I growing in my knowledge of Jesus Christ because of this church? And notice what will come about if this is taking place in verse 13. Notice the end of the verse. This growth, in turn, is going to bring about, notice at the end of verse 13, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is called Christ-likeness. This is called spiritual maturity. And in our churches today, you know one thing we greatly lack in our churches today? Spiritual maturity. Our church people are doing everything and anything in the name of Christ today, yes or no? And some of them are doing it inside the church. And they're totally contrary to that book. They're ignorant when it comes to the Bible. They're illiterate when it comes to scriptures. And we're not maturing. 
You ought to be able to look back at your spiritual journey and say, you know, I got saved here. I got baptized here. I didn't know much, but I know a little bit more now. I, I know what I'm supposed to be as a man. I know what I'm supposed to be as a husband. I know what I'm supposed to be as a father. And you're growing. You're growing. Christ-likeness. And if we are mature, notice in verse 14, if we're mature, we won't be tossed to and fro like children. We won't be tossed back and forth with everything that comes along because we are anchored. We're anchored into God's truth and we don't move from it. I know what this book teaches. I believe what that book teaches. I don't care what they're saying out there. I'm going to hold the scriptures because God is right and the Bible is right. I'm not moving. I'm anchored in. But the Bible talks about children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. How many new winds are coming? And how many of our people are caught out there in some, some foolish doctrine that has nothing to do with the Bible? People are into all kinds of things today. They fall for the counterfeit. My dad was in banking when my stepdad was in banking. I never called him my stepdad. I always called him my dad. Or my second dad. Was in banking for 45, 50 years. My aunt was in, she was a hit teller for about the same length of time. And they would train those new tellers in there back in the day. They would train them by blindfolding them and giving them a stack of money. And by feel, they were to go through that stack and pull out the ones that don't feel right. And they were trained that way, that they could pick out the, they could pick out the counterfeit. We don't need to go and study all these false religions. That's good to know something about them, but you don't need to go study them all in detail. If you know your Bible well enough, if you know your Bible well, anything that comes along is going to put up a what if it's out of line. Beep, 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 a little red flag. Something's not quite right about that. I better check that out because I know the real so well that the counterfeit doesn't catch me. And so when we mature, if you don't get our church to maturity, if you don't help people to maturity, they can get tricked and they can get trapped. You know who makes up some of these cult churches? Do you think it's lost people that they caught? Or do you think it's other church people that they caught? Many of them are filled with other church people. Got caught in a cult. Now notice in verse 15, he says, instead of being tossed to and fro and carried about with all this counterfeit stuff, but speaking the truth in what? Love. You got two things there. You got love and what? Love and what? Truth. And you have to have both of them. Has your wife ever asked you how she looks in a certain outfit? Man, it's a dangerous time. You say it don't, if you say it doesn't look good, you're going to buy something. If you say it looks good, then you're lying. But it's a danger. You've got to be careful how you answer, right? You've got to be smart. You want to speak the truth. How many of you men have told your wife the truth, but you didn't do it with love? Nobody in this room. Man, you guys are the best men I've ever seen in the world. Nobody's better than Oklahoma. My, I need to come down here and preach more often. I, I don't even need to come down. You got it all squared away down here. 
Oh, yeah, thank you, Brother Craig. Men are oftentimes good with a truth, but not good with a tone. You got to have both of those together, love and truth. If you lack love and you have truth, you're going to run into one ditch. If you have a lot of love and no truth, you're going to run into the other ditch. And the devil don't care what ditch you're in as long as you're in the ditch. You got to have this combination of truth and love. And what does the Bible say you're supposed to do with this truth and love? What does the Bible say we are supposed to do with this truth and love? Look at it. What does it say we're supposed to do? Oh, speak it. Guess who we need to speak this love and truth to? Each other. Like somebody needed to speak to Blake. Now, as our church continued to grow, we started out with just a handful of people. You know, I started preaching and people stopped coming. Our attendance went the wrong direction. Can you believe that? I can believe it. I thought they'd like to stay. I only had 15-minute messages when I first started. <laughs> I was green. I was 23. But I learned something as we grew and grew and grew. I learned something that people at the door, we, I was thankful for my church. We only had one door you could come in and one door you could get out. Nobody was getting by me. I shook everybody's hand. I knew who was there and who was not. And so I'm shaking hands. And you know what people said to me? So-and-so's missing today. And I had a little recorder in my pocket. I'd take my recorder out and I'd say, put their names down, so I'd call them. Well, after a while, I got smart. And they would say, so-and-so's missing today. And I would say to them, I am so glad you noticed. Would you call them this afternoon? Would you go by and visit them and then let me know what you find out? You want to guess how many people stopped telling me who was missing? You know why they stopped telling me who was missing? They didn't want to go check on them. They wanted me to check on them. Our church had gotten too big. I couldn't keep up with all that stuff. We've run over 300 and just got one pastor, no staff. They're killing me, and I'm still working the other jobs. But they stopped telling me who was absent. So finally, I went up to the pulpit, and I said, hey, look, now, some of you used to be real good people. I, you know, I've learned this. Even in India, when they sit on the ground, people sit in the same places everywhere I go. It seems like you just kind of get a place. And that's kind of your row or your seat or your position. Is it true here too? It's true here too, isn't it? Some of you got your name inscribed on that pew. You've done put it into cushion format for yourself. I said to my congregation, look, you have stopped asking me. Because when you ask me, I'm asking you to visit them and check on them. And you want to guess what the number one complaint from Christians when they leave a church, their number one complaint is this. Nobody, nobody checked on me. Nobody called. Nobody, what, what they're really saying is nobody cared. Speaking the truth in love. You know what our conversations are most of the time in church? They're on the shallow side. We're talking about the weather. The deer, the football game, we're talking about all this stuff right up on top of the service. We're never talking about anything of real matter. Hello? I said when I started this morning that we look inside the church, we see some things that are missing. We need to get to these things. 
Your pastor's not going to be the Savior. He's going to be a part of your church, and he's going to have a work to do, but you've got to do your part. And when everybody's doing their part, then you'll have what you're supposed to have. So we've got to have people speaking and telling the truth in love. Notice what it says there in verse 15, so that we might grow up into him, Christ, who's the head, even Christ. Notice verse 16. From whom the whole body, notice the word, fitly joined together. Have you ever had anybody do that, those, those tiles for you, but they didn't fitly do them right? I mean, they leave one little hump on the side. And you ever seen somebody do a job like that? Yes or no? If, they, if you paid for it, you paid out of your pocket for it, how do you want them tile squares? You want them things laid right, fitly joined together this is how a church is supposed to be notice how it says it says fitly joined together and compacted by that which every what every joint is supplying there is spiritual nourishment like blood in the body that's flowing out of me to you and from you to this person and from that person to that person there's spiritual things flowing from us and we're like a body with a lot of blood vessels and the blood is moving and it's healthy and it's vibrant. Christ holds that body together and makes it function. When every joint is supplying, we're supplying love and we're supplying truth. And then notice what it says. The effectual working in the measure of how many parts? Every part. It's making an increase. It's producing Increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, how many of you have ever fractured a bone? How many have dislocated something? Sometimes in the church, there comes a fracture. And there comes a dislocation. I coached basketball when I first took that school. And we only, they hadn't won a game in two years, the girls' basketball team. They gave it to me. I was so blessed. My goal that season was to win one game. That was the goal. Just one game. We did win the one game. Praise the Lord. We finally snapped the streak of losses. But my star player, the only one that really knew what to do with the basketball, before the season began, she blew out her knee. She's the only player that could really dribble, could score. She's the only hope that we had. And I'm standing over her, and I'm looking at her on the floor, writhing in pain. She blew out her. It's not uncommon for girls to blow out, her, out their knees. ACL, you know what I'm talking about? And she's writhing in pain, and there she is. I was thinking to myself, you know what she's holding, by the way, with her hands? What's she holding her hand? She's holding that knee. I was thinking about this. She's not thinking about her eyebrows. She's not thinking about her ears. She's not even thinking about her toes. All she's thinking about is where the pain is. And when there's a fracture in the church, and when there's two people, there's, there's some distance between if it's not taken care of soon, you're going to have two congregations before long. 
And sometimes what the church needs is it needs some healing. How in the world can we partake in communion and be right with God when we're wrong with people? See, it's an impossibility. You have to be right with people so you can be right with God as well. And in many of our churches, I've seen them. They sit over here on this side, and the other family sits on that side, and they avoid each other like the plague because there's a fracture. I was sitting up on the platform, which I hate to do. I don't like sitting on the platform. I've been in some of these churches. You can't even see the congregation because the lights are so bright. And then you get up there, and they have those bright lights on, you're sweating. So I had to sit on the platform with the preacher. I didn't care for it, but I was sitting because he made me. And so I'm sitting there. And right before the church started, a lady got up from right over where you guys, Sandy, right where you're sitting. She got up. She came around. And she messed with the flowers just a little bit. And then she went back and sat down. I didn't think anything of it. I went along, preached my long sermons like I normally do. And go stand at the back door like I normally do. And the pastor's standing next to me. And we're shaking hands. And there come a woman out of there. And she was upset. I mean, you could look at her neck and tell she was about to blow. And so I just noticed the pastor, and they ended up over in the corner. And I just kept shaking hands and taking a look over there every now and then to see how the fireworks were going. I'm shaking hands. And you know what preachers do after they shake the hands at church? They go out to eat. You guys didn't know that? So now the pastor and I, he's back. We're going out to eat. And I said, finally, we even prayed. We said, I said, okay, what happened? <laughs> well, he said, that lady that was uh, in his grill, she was in charge of the decorations of the church. And that lady who got up over there and came around is not in charge. And if she wants to do the decorations of the church, then I'll just let her do the decorations of the church. So she had been fuming for the whole hour and 15 or hour and 30 minutes. And through the invitation, she'd been fuming, wait to pour out on the preacher because somebody touched her flowers. Did you know that most of this kind of stuff takes place and it's not over doctrine? It's over preferences. And I know there's preferences here. I've already heard about the Cowboys and the Sooners. There's preferences in this place. I notice your chairs are after the Sooners, and this is after your, I mean, the chairs are after the Cowboys, and this is after the Sooners. I, I see you're trying to do both and keep everybody happy. But preferences, many times it's preferences, and there's a fracture. And you know what needs to take place? Yeah, that's what needs to take place. And you can stay in your pride, and you can stay fractured, and you can continue to run down those other people and continue to whisper and gossip and do whatever you want to do and continue to destroy your church. Or you can get right with them and get ready for your pastor. This is how the inside of the church is supposed to look and operate. And grow. Let's stand to our feet. Please, no one looking around. This is the time of invitation. It's going to be just quiet here for the first few minutes. If you're here today 
and God has spoken to your heart, you don't have to walk down here and kneel at the front, but you're welcome to do that. I pray that God has spoken to all of us, and that we've taken a long look at our ministry and what part we are playing in this church and what we are bringing to the table of this church. And if you are a leader in this church, I ask you, how are you equipping the people in your church? How are you administering the word to them? How are you praying for the people? How are you investing in the people? And as church people, I'm asking you, are you receiving that leadership? Are you availing yourself to the services of the church? Or are you someone that comes in three times a month on Sundays, but not quite faithful? And then the other services, I'm not coming. I'm not going to be here. I don't care if somebody's prepared something, somebody's got something ready. They've, they've worked to, to have a class. I, you know, I, I, I'm just going to be a one service a week person, and then um, maybe I won't even make that. So we don't even avail ourselves to that which is being done at the church. We're missing opportunities. Are we committed to the work of this ministry? Are we soul winning? Are we discipling? Are we investing in someone else? Are we speaking into each other's lives? Are we working and building up each other? Are we providing and supplying others with the nutrients, the nourishment, the encouragement, the love, and the truth? Are we a healthy and vibrant church, or are we sickly? Each person needs to answer for themselves. And if there's a person here that has an ought against the brother or an ought against the sister, why not during this invitation time, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, you just make a walk, walk across the aisle and ask for forgiveness. And when you... Receive that person, would you please forgive them as Christ has forgiven you. And let some healing take place in this church and amongst people so that we can be the church that we're supposed to be. We can do the work that God has called on us to do, that we can have the hand of God's blessing upon us again. This would help us as we prepare for the ministry of the pastor who's coming and his family, that if we could be in better shape, that we could be healthier, then when he gets here, he could just join in and we could run together as a local church and turn Davis and this county upside down for you, O oh Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you're outside of the church, even though you're inside today, you're lost. And you need Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from your personal sins. Right where you're standing, you can cry out to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Every one of us have sinned. We've sinned against God. We've done things that are wrong. God says we're all sinners. And Jesus Christ died on that cross and shed His blood for our sin. Paid the price. Made the payment. Was buried and rose again. And if you'll come to Him, if you'll call on Him, if you'll believe in Him, you can be saved. You can have eternal life. You can't come on the salvation of your parents or your grandparents or your preacher. You have to come to God yourself. 
So whether you're young or old, why don't you cry out to God and say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive me and cleanse me. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again. If you'll do what God says for you to do, God will do what He said He'll do and He'll save you. The altar is open. If you just want to come and pray for your church today, you don't have to come and kneel. If you just want to come and stand, if you want to come to the front aisle and sit on the front pew, we ought to be praying together. We ought to be fasting together for the future of this church, for our town, for our community, for our state, for our nation, for this world. God has a work for us to do. And oftentimes we're failing to do it. Why don't we start with prayer, with confession, with crying out to God. All the people were down in Egypt and they were crying out to God and God heard their prayers and sent a man by the name of Moses. God will hear us. So this is a time of invitation. If you'd like to come and pray, you come and pray. And I'll close our service in just a few moments. Let's go to Him in prayer. Let us pray.